Well, I am grateful that you are here today, and I hope it's a blessing, or if you're online with us, glad you're joining us. This, as Scott said earlier, we are wrapping up a series today on the best gift ever, and it's been about the Holy Spirit, and I've received so much incredible feedback on this series. People have showed how much they appreciate what we've been talking about here, and I got all kinds of questions early on. And one of the questions that kept coming up is, Scott, talking about the Holy Spirit, the miraculous, does the miraculous still happen? And I'm just here to tell you, ACU over Texas, yes, the miraculous still happens. And I say that strictly because I never thought I'd get to talk about my alma mater in an NCAA NCAA Division I March Madness Tournament. So what a great, what a great night that was last night for, uh, for ACU. We are going to dive back in, and we're going to wrap this up today. And it is a uh, blessing to be here. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open to John chapter 14. We've been living out of John 14, 15, and 16 through this. And if you haven't gone through all these lessons, if you missed one, I really don't try to push my own stuff that much, but I want you to go back and revisit some of these. We've got them online, we've got them on our YouTube channel, and we also podcast them if you want to do the audio only. That's available for you. That is uh, a blessing for so many people have interacted with this material and had a heightened awareness of what the Holy Spirit's doing in their life. So today I want to end in what I think is a very strong place to end. Because what we have in John 14, 15, and 16, we've been looking at the words of Jesus. There's so much more that I could preach on the Holy Spirit, but we have narrowed down to what did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit. And this isn't the only place Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, but in these three chapters, he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit and a lot about what the role of the Spirit is. And what you need to understand about 14, 15, and 16 is, in many ways, it's an encouragement note to us. That is what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to encourage his disciples. He's about to go away. He's about to leave them. They've had this very close and intimate relationship. They've walked together, traveled together, taught together, ministered together. They've watched the miracles happen And yet now he's about to lead them in a very violent, dramatic way through his death. And what Jesus is letting them know is trouble is coming. And he's not mixing words. He's letting them know that there will be difficult times ahead. And what we need to understand as followers of Jesus today is Jesus never promised that pick up your cross and follow me and it will be easy. He never promises your comfort zone will be maintained. In fact, there's a, there's a theology out there that's called um, the prosperity gospel, or maybe you've heard it as the health and wealth gospel. And the idea is that if you follow Jesus, you get healthy and you get wealthy. You get strong and you get financially secure. It's just a guarantee. And that gospel may, may at times have a place to be preached here in America where sometimes people will pay attention to it, but I tell you, in most of the world that does not enjoy the riches that we have in this country, that gospel makes no sense whatsoever. 
And no gospel that can't be preached around the world is no gospel at all. And so Jesus is saying that following me will be difficult. And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear those words because they're coming from Jesus. And I don't want you to be led astray by some false gospel or some lie that says it automatically gets easy when you decide that Jesus is Lord. Jesus himself is telling his disciples, trouble is coming. But remember, I said this is an encouragement note. And so if you look in John 14, 1, this is how he starts it off. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He, he leaps into this whole section and what he's going to do is he's going to explain the trouble that's coming and he's going to explain why you do not need to let your hearts be troubled. Not trouble won't come. There's a difference. You understand? He's saying trouble's coming, but protect your heart from it or better yet, I'm going to protect your heart from it. And this is where he sends the best gift ever to us in the form of the person of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26. And I really want you to have a, have a, um, a pen or a pencil or your app open so you can circle these. I really do want you to go back in your own personal study time to read these and understand these verses. John 14, verse 26, just a little bit later in the same chapter. But the Advocate, and we've learned, that's the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will, and now here's what he's going to do, will teach you all things and will remind you. Now, there's the word, circle remind. We will come back to that. But this is what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He will teach you and he will remind you of everything that I, this is Jesus talking, that I have said to you. And then we get a passage that is very familiar to many of you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Then he says it again. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Trouble is coming. But don't be troubled, is what Jesus is saying. Why? How can he say such a thing? How can he look at these men that are that are weeks and months away from enduring persecution that they never thought they would see in their lives. But before it's all said and done, they will lay their lives down for this one that they follow. Trouble is coming, but do not be troubled. And what Jesus does, and what I want to focus in on this for this last message is how encouraging, how pastoral and what a difference it makes to have the Holy Spirit available to us and at work in our lives. So what's the Holy Spirit do? Let's go back to that, that first one, verse 26. He will teach you of all things and He will remind you of everything that, I said, that I've said. So I want to go through three things. I don't think these are the only three things, but I think these are three critical things that if we're going to have hearts that are not troubled as we face trouble that I want to remember or I want to be reminded of by the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is actively doing this. And so if you want to write these down as we go, I encourage you to do that. First one, the Holy Spirit reminds you your salvation is sealed. The Holy Spirit, it has a job. 
He is at work in our lives and he is reminding us that your salvation is sealed. So often I work with so many people in my ministry that they're just not sure. They've given their life to Jesus, they've been immersed in baptism, and yet they live life scared. Once saved, always scared. It seems to be a model of many people. And what the Holy Spirit comes to encourage us, especially in times of trouble, is that your salvation is not at risk. Let me go through this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.21 says this, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now, this idea of a seal doesn't mean near as much to us today as it did to those in the first century. But seals were a sign of authority and ownership. And so oftentimes a decree um, or a letter of communication would be sealed, meaning some type of wax would be formed on and there would be a ring or some type of impression that could only come from a certain authority would be pressed into that. And then once that was set, you dare not violate the seal unless you were the one with the authority to do so. Because it was a matter of ownership and who had authority over it. If you remember, when Jesus goes to the cross and faces his death, he's buried in a tomb and because Rome wants to make sure that nothing goes awry here, that nobody comes to steal the body, not only do they put the, the rock in front of the tomb, which was to be expected, they come along and they affix to the tomb, to that rock, a Roman seal. And so they knew that if anybody came along and broke the seal... They violated the tomb. The seal was a sign that said, this does not belong to you. It belongs to Rome. If you break the seal, you will feel the full authority, wrath, and judgment of Rome. There was a power behind it. There was an authority behind it. There was an ownership behind it. And what Paul is telling us in this verse from the letter to the Corinthians, he's saying that God has put his seal on you. You've been marked by the Spirit, and that is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Another place where Paul touches on this same idea, this, this idea that Jesus launches and tells us what the Holy Spirit's doing, it's reminding us of our salvation. Ephesians 1.13. Ephesians 1.13 says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Therefore, your salvation is not up for grabs. God has laid a claim to you not to be tampered with. Now, I said we don't have the same kind of appreciation for seals, but we still have seals in our world today. If you look at any type of medication or most of our foods now, there's a what? There's a seal on it that says do not buy or do not consume if tampered with. And what the seal does, the seal guarantees that what's contained in there is pure. 
It's, it's healthy. It's not going to harm you in the same way. And so that's what God's doing. He's coming, he's laying a seal and says, says this can't be harmed. What, what's inside under my seal can't be, should not be messed with. And it also means to us in another way. Um, one of the, um, the ideas that I'll do is I get to do weddings. And part, part of the wedding, there's always an exchange of rings at some point. And that's a sign. There, there's a sign, a seal that means something. In fact, this was highlighted in the, by the, in the old, old hymn by the famous theologian Beyonce. You can finish the line for me. If you liked it, you should have put a ring on it. Why? Because then you could claim it. Then you're invested in the relationship. So this means something. The the ring does not simply recall me back to the wedding day, but it's it's a statement of ownership. I am Erica's, Erica's mine. Nothing should come in between that. Nothing should violate that. And what Paul is telling us and what Jesus is telling us and what the Holy Spirit is reminding of every day is that when you're claimed by God, nothing comes in between that. And so your salvation has has been sealed and you need not fret. Second thing the Holy Spirit reminds us of is that all of creation will be healed. All of creation will be healed. And this one is incredibly practical. And so if you'll give me a few minutes, this may be the most encouraging thing that you hear today. Romans chapter 8. Once again, Paul is talking about this idea, and I'm going to read about about three, four verses right here. We're going to start in verse 20, and these are ones that I want you to make a note because I want you to go back and read these in your own time. But Paul is going to address the idea that we all know to be true. We're all suffering decay. We're all getting older. That's the reason that a week ago the staff draped my office in black to remind me that I'm getting older and I'm under the curse of decay just like everybody else is. Time marches on right across our face. Amen? Romans chapter 8, verse 20 says this, For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but ourselves who have, and here he goes, the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Paul is acknowledging what we all know. Disease, decay, and death, unfortunately and tragically, are a part of our world. And Paul is acknowledging that. He's not shying away from it. But what Paul is saying here is, it was not meant to be that way. God designed you differently for that. And so, while we're trapped here for a little while, 
And we experience that, and it is real. Paul's saying there's coming a day. And the Spirit reminds us that there's coming a day. That all of creation will be healed. All of creation will be restored. And this matters so much, especially when you're standing at a funeral. I've been blessed to do weddings. And it's my honor to participate in many funerals. Many for family members of yours. And at every funeral, there's always two preachers. There's a message that I'm trying to bring, but there's always another one that's present in the room, and that's the preacher of death. And in the moment of the funeral, the preacher of death has far more evidence on his side, doesn't he? I mean, he's got the evidence of there's the casket, there's the loved one, there's the pictures of remembrance, and there's the tears that we're all shedding in that moment. And it seems to be the message is, I win again and we just grieve and wonder how much longer will this be the case and we seem sometimes that there's no hope but there is another message that we bring to a funeral there's another message we bring into that moment of grief and that death and that was it was not meant to be this way this is a unique time of year for me because on March 8th a few weeks ago, we, cel- we didn't celebrate, I remembered my mom's death. And then forever, one week later, was my birthday. Tomorrow is the birthday of Cutter and Cooper, my twins. And then shortly after that, we'll celebrate Easter together. And so I've got this unique span of time with a roller coaster of emotions from death to what's now to the Easter celebration. And what the Easter celebration tells me is that death and funerals may be here now, but they're not what's meant to be forever. And there's an expiration date on them. And there's a day where God's going to show up and through the power of Jesus and what he's done in the world and will do in the world, he's going to redeem all of creation. He's going to turn back all of decay. He's going to restore, renew, rehabilitate the world and you and me as well. This is what resurrection is all about. The Holy Spirit reminds us that Easter is true. And you can rejoice. Do you see how that has power when you face troubles that are going to come? We do not grieve as the world grieves. We grieve as one, as if in the pains of childbirth. That's the language that Paul uses. So yes, there's pain and there's struggle, but all childbirth has a future to it. There's a hope associated with it. Because there's life that begins with it. The Holy Spirit reminds us that all creation will be healed. And the third one, the Holy Spirit reminds you Christ will be revealed in you. The Holy Spirit reminds you that Christ will be revealed in you. Your salvation sealed, all of creation will be healed, and in you, 
Christ is going to be revealed. Romans chapter 8, again, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Conformed into the image of the Son. Remember several years ago, early in my ministry, I was just a young intern and I was sitting in an elders meeting in another church. And a new member had come in and they asked a great question to the elders. They said, what's the mission of this church? What's the goal of this church? And I was kind of a young guy and I was like, I'm curious to hear the answers here. So one by one, the elders went around the table, all godly men, but they were caught a little off guard by the question, so they're going off the cuff. And got around to one brother that I love and have great respect for. He said, I think our mission of this church, the same as the mission of every Christian, is to get to heaven. And I thought a lot about that. And again, this is a man that I have high respect for, so I mean no disrespect by disagreeing with him. But my struggle is if the goal of the Christian life is to get to heaven. A goal is something that I move closer to every day. But if I'm going to fully believe that my salvation is sealed, that, that, and that I have a deposit of the Holy Spirit guaranteeing that, then that's not something that I work for every day. That's not something that I move closer to. Now, I realize I can move closer to the reality and the fact that I am one person step closer to my death or one day closer to my death each day but that's different that's not me working towards that so what is the goal what's the purpose of the christian life paul gives the answer right here to be conformed into the image of his son into the image of jesus and so in a very practical way why i can't tell you am i any closer to heaven today than i was yesterday other than the passage of time I can tell you, in very concrete ways, am I more like Jesus today than I was yesterday? Did I talk to my spouse more like Jesus? Did I interact with my kids more like Jesus than the day before? Did I interact with the neighbor that drives me crazy more like Jesus? Did I look to serve others more like Jesus was I more forgiving and able to let go of more bitterness like Jesus? All that stuff that gunks up my heart. Am I more like Jesus? Because what the Holy Spirit reminds me is that you're going to be more and more and more in the image of Jesus. Jesus will be revealed in your life more and more. Now, there's a purpose worth living for. And here's why I think it's so important is because Satan is going to try to convince you exactly the opposite. Satan's main tactic is to remind you of who you were. God's redeemed who you were. What God wants you to hear every single day morning to night, is not who you were. And honestly, it's not even who you are. 
It is who you're becoming. His child. In the image of Jesus. And Satan cannot take that away from you. Jesus will be glorified in your life. And think how powerful that is when you meet trials. And you meet persecution. And you meet struggles. Once again, the promise is not troubles will not come your way. The call of Jesus is when they do, don't let your heart be troubled. Because the Holy Spirit's at work in you in that moment. And as you face those, God will be glorified by how you respond in the middle. You get to be the billboard, the walking advertisement, the mobile church on behalf of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So whatever you face, whether it's disease or death, financial struggle, hostilities, bitterness, tragedy, that how you walk through that, be reminded that Christ is being revealed in you, that the Holy Spirit's at work in that moment, should bring you the encouragement because God's getting the glory and that is a life worth living. Not easy, not comfortable, but no regrets. Some of the most inspirational stories I know come from watching people face incredible adversity and still praise and worship the name of Jesus. And seeing those, and you probably have some on your mind right now, to see how they react, how they respond, to see how they move through that. I've shared her story before, and it just bears sharing again. Years ago, in one of the youth ministries that I was associated with, inside this youth group, a young girl named Jennifer. And Jennifer developed cancer of the leg. A young, beautiful teenager. And she had such a sweet spirit about her that as she underwent treatment and all the chemo that that they had to give her, her long, beautiful hair fell out. And so she took to wearing funny hats when she came to youth group. And she'd come up to me and she'd whip that hat off and see that shining cue ball of a head. And she'd say, do you like my hair today? I had a little trouble with it. She said, I'm having a bad hair day. What do you think? And I just remember her spirit and her joy. They eventually had to take her leg, and then that didn't stop, stop the cancer. And at a young, young age, Jennifer lost her life. And at her funeral, hundreds, hundreds, of medical workers, doctors, nurses, technicians, people that showed up to draw blood from her, that treated her and had interacted with her or at least aware of her, her life was so lived for Jesus that it was contagious. Showed up to remember her. And that's just a testimony to the fact that 
the Holy Spirit was at work and Jesus was being revealed in that moment, even, even in that difficult situation. Jesus begins John 14, this section, with do not let your hearts be troubled. He ends this way. Chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do not let your hearts be troubled, for Jesus has overcome the world. That, like the song says, is a blessed assurance. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray for all here today whose hearts are troubled. Pray for those that are listening online that may be far away from this location, but they're not too far from you. And there's grief because there's been decay, there's been disease, there's been death, there's been a divorce, there's been something that has troubled them. So Father, I pray that the Spirit would be at the work, that you promised the Spirit would be at work, reminding us that our salvation is secure. You've got this. That you are healing all of creation, and a resurrection is coming. And last, that you will be revealed in us. So I would ask that as we each face whatever trial, whatever struggle, and I do not mean to diminish it at all, but in the midst of it, Father, we pray that we open ourselves to let Jesus be glorified. And I'm going to give just a few moments of silence right now to let each of you have your prayer and your conversation with God, inviting Him into the struggle that you're facing inviting him to allow Jesus to be glorified in that moment. Jesus, we pray that you come quickly. But till then, give us an acute awareness of the best gift ever in the presence of your Holy Spirit. And remind us that you have overcome. It's in your name we pray. Amen.